We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And I'm not going to waste too much time with the intro today for a couple different reasons. Reason number one, I'm uh, I'm tired. I'm uh, a little bit don't don't have the uh, the voice that I normally do. As uh, I was at the the Penn State game this past weekend, the whiteout, so cheering my face off. So the voice is not normally what it is, and uh, yeah. So and I get the main reason is this interview is just so amazing today that I don't want to waste time with this intro. I just want to get to this this content because in all honesty, I think this is going to blow your mind. Um, we do talk a lot about addiction, but this is not only for addicts or people you know who uh, have people in their family or, or friends who struggle with addiction. This is for every single person who wants to become the best version of themselves. So let's get right into this show today. Please subscribe to the Lions of Liberty Network feed. Subscribe to the Finding Freedom podcast feed if you want to get just my shows. And of course, you can subscribe to Brian's feed, Mean Age Daydream. So subscribe to all three. Subscribe to whichever one you like the most. I don't care. Let's get to the show. All right, we are live in the Lions of Liberty Pride with Dr. Rob Kelly. And you might be familiar with Dr. Rob's work. He's a sought-after recovery expert who believes in treating the causes of addiction and not the symptoms. Dr. Kelly hosted Sober Celeb Show on KLIF Radio in Dallas and currently hosts the Breaking Through Addiction podcast um, featuring special guests discussing a variety of mental health issues. Uh, Dr. Kelly is the CEO of Rob Kelly Recovery Group. It's an addiction and mental illness recovery coaching company that he created that was based on his own extensive, extensive research and behavior studies that he conducted over the past 20 years. Uh, Dr. Kelly shares his personal highs and lows as he struggled and overcame crippling alcoholism and in the November 19th release of his book, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. Rob, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you, John. Good to be here. Hey, guys. Uh, how you doing out there? I hope you're having a great time. This is going to be a great show. Yes, sir. It is going to be a great show. And let's let's start with the first thing here. Um, obviously, my listeners probably can hear this, too. There's a little bit of an accent. And uh, I, I know that you live in the U.S. now. So what's your... What's your origin story? Where, where, where do you come from and, and where do you live now? I was going to say North Texas, but uh, I'll be real with the guys. Yeah, from Manchester, United Kingdom. Um, I, uh, I've been here for about 15 years in Texas, 12 in Dallas and three in San Antonio. And I became an American citizen about 16 months ago. So very proud to be here. Very proud of my country today. Congratulations. That's awesome. So let's let's get into uh, with my guest and you know I have on all different types of guests people who have you know been to prison and, and overcome those obstacles people who've struggled with addiction people who've struggled with creating companies and, and entrepreneurship and and all that type of stuff but what, what I like to do is kind of just just set the stage and give really my audience uh, really a, a baseline of of who my guest is and really w w where they came from so if, if you could kind of start out by by giving some some background on yourself and really starting to get into your story. Yeah, so my name's Dr. Rob Kelly. They call me the addiction doctor. I work with alcoholics, drug addicts, but we've been working with trauma victims. Everybody has trauma. Um, so yeah, I come from Manchester, England. Uh, I'm a chronic alcoholic and drug addict. I took my first drink at the age of nine years old in Liverpool, in where the pizza's come from, in England. And my alcoholism, didn't know it then, but I know it now, kicked off right there and then. 
So bold statement out of the gate. Let's get it right. I've done 36 years of research into the brain. Nobody's done as much research as we have on alcoholism, on the brain and addiction as well, obviously. Alcoholics are born and drug addicts are made. I'm just going to put that out there. So when you start freaking out, I'll explain to you maybe shortly uh, about what that what's all about. So grew up in a normal family, very poor family, working class. Uh, dad worked for the gas company, digging roads and laying pipes. And my mom cleaned other people's houses. I didn't like that, to be honest, when I started to grow up. And you was destined for a lot more than that. Well, I hoped I was anyway. So, yeah, got married, ruined that, lost the kids, everything, ended up homeless and you know, 12 years, 13, 15 years ago, I came here, 12 years in Dallas, and then moved to here. So uh, I've been sober a few days, so they say. Uh, I don't count the days. I make the days count. It's very important for me. I'm not celebrating a day sobriety. Why should I do that? I'll probably get into that later on as well. Because alcohol has 1% to do with alcoholism, and the same with drug addiction. It's only 1%. You see, I never had a drinking problem. I had a thinking problem. Once the alcohol is removed, there's two parts of the brain that differs from any other brain in the world with alcoholics. Once we amend and correct those, alcoholics and addicts can go on to do anything in the world that they want to do. Okay. Well, you, you, you said a lot there. <laughs> and some of it is, you know, I think would pretty unconventional um I, I you know coming into the recovery space i would think a, a lot of people haven't heard it this way i haven't heard this said before you said alcoholics are born and drug addicts are made what, what do you mean by that alcoholism is a predisposition it's passed down from generation to generation so if you think you're an alcoholic by the way alcoholism is the only self-diagnosed illness in the world 10 DUIs do not make you an alcoholic or a warrant of the doctor. So what happens is we're born with the, with the mind that has two different pieces in, the, in that brain that are different. One's the hypothalamus and one is the basal ganglia. Uh, they're two different. Now, if I never touched alcohol again, ever, ever drank it, ever, though I was born an alcoholic, I'm going to be running companies like Apple and Google, for instance, not them particular companies, because the alcoholic mind is a genius mind. So we have this predisposition. Drug addicts have the addicted personality, okay? So they're not born this way. When I take a first drink, I am done, okay? It might be a week, a month, a year, 10 years, 50 years, but sooner or later, I'm going to die of alcoholism unless I get help or I go to prison and, and stay sober that way. So we're born into alcoholism, okay? The basal ganglia, which is my repetition strength and confirms part of the brain. For instance, if you want to drive a car, you first get in it. You don't know what you're doing. The road seems small. The car seems huge. You know, you've got to concentrate. Oh, my God, this car. Mm -hmm. After a couple of months, when you've passed your test, you can reverse down the driveway, call the wife, wait to the girlfriend, listen to the radio, you know, all this stuff, because it becomes a second nature. That's because... The subconscious the mind takes over, that. right? Yeah, the, sub, the, the neural pathways for that movement particularly mm -hmm. has been created. The basal ganglia will repeat and restore. The problem with the alcoholic is the basal ganglia self-sabotages every certain amount of time, maybe a week, month, year. But we usually like to say around 10 till, it will self-sabotage, Okay. Their life's good, got the car back, job's good, better, everything's going amazing, and self-sabotage. That is an alcoholic trait, okay? Hmm. The hypothalamus, which is our fight or flight from birth, it tells kids that they're hungry, need to eat or drink water. That's the primary function of the hypothalamus, to tell people to drink water and to eat food to survive. This is a survival part. Once we cross over the line from heavy, abusive drinking, remember we're born this way, and we cross into alcoholically drinking, the hypothalamus tells me to drink alcohol. That's why I can go days or weeks without water or food. Now, drug addicts, the addicted personality, the first drug, second drug, come addicted to it. They both present the same. I'm not saying one's harder than another. No, once we're in that site, we present the same. What I'm saying is, if you're an alcoholic that takes alcohol, you're done. But if you're a drug addict that starts taking drugs, you can stop in time. So 
just just to dig into this a little bit, and I know you've you've done a, a lot of studies around it. So, uh, how can, how can you tell that you you said at a certain point in time the, hy- the hypothalamus starts to yeah. tell you to drink? So, in, in your studies, were you able to to like pinpoint when this happens or or how that presents itself? Not the specific time because we just can't do that. It's impossible. You, you'll find with the alcohol, they trait where everything else, like warning from the doctor, wife says they're going to leave you. An alcoholic can stop for a few days, maybe, uh, but they'll always go back. And when the deep alcohol is in, when we cross over, we can't stop. So the wife says, I'm going to leave you. You can't stop drinking, you know? And this is where they present the same drug, drugs and alcohol. I stabbed my fr- wife three times one night because she hid my bottle of vodka and I knew I needed it. I'm like, that's not normal. I wouldn't do that. So when you cross that line, you realize you can't stop. So when you start drinking, can you stop? Alcoholics will say no. Can you moderate? Nope. When I enjoy my drinking, can't control it. But when I control my drinking, I can't enjoy it. It's that kind of scenario. Hmm. So everybody wants to blame alcohol for alcoholism, but it's just a symptom. This is what people don't get. And this is why we have a almost 100% success record over 30 odd years with 7,000 patients is because everybody concentrates on the alcohol. Everyone concentrates on, we'll just stick you in training for 30 days, we'll teach you relapse prevention, then we'll kick you out. No, every alcoholic and drug addict has trauma. If you don't sort the trauma out, you'll never get sober. And if you do, you'll always relapse. So is there a genetic trait that alcoholics have that can be detected? Yes, of course. Yeah, there are loads of traits as we go on. From birth, maybe coming up, maybe not. But as soon as you take the first drink, it's usually early. That's why we can't track the, the research heavily because most alcoholics start taking that first drink. It could be uh, a tissue with whiskey on it for, a, for your tooth or something from dad or mom or whiskey in the bottle like you do in my generation. But then traits will be something like this. I'm never going to be good enough, tall enough, thin enough, or blonde enough. Period. Okay? So we start off really good at something, then we self-sabotage and go on to something else. Or we start off really good at something, and then we master it, then we move on to something else. You see, we're never satisfied with what we have. We're always chasing that feeling of that first drink gave us, no matter what it is in life. And this is where learned behavior and enmeshment from parents comes in is as we grow, we take that learned behavior with the alcoholism and the traits get more uh, prevalent as we go along. Whereas, you know, obviously the first drink can't stop. Everything else doesn't matter. We can go from hot to cold. There's no idea when you're going to relapse. That's another thing as well, because people think, you know, oh, well, Johnny relapsed on a Friday. And my, my, my answer is always this. Uh, did he start drinking Friday or did he relapse Friday? Well, they're both the same, aren't they? No. Relapse comes a day, a week, maybe two weeks before they're picking up the drink. That's when the relapse is, when you cause that chaos, when you cause that drama. So the you subconsciously, because that's where the, the uh, disease lies, you subconsciously can go out and drink. You're subconsciously it's, it's creating creating yes. that excuse to drink. That's John, wild. I would cause arguments over. I walked into the house one day. Wow. My slippers goes on the first chair, my first stair. When I walked in this day, I knew because I'd been causing crap all day with people. Now I know I was I was heading to drink when I walked on. My slippers were on the second stair. What a great way to start an argument and then walk out in temper and go drink. So that's where alcoholism lies. It does not lie in pick it. By the time you've picked the drink up, it's been over for days, guys. So question just popped in my head. When you hear the term a functional alcoholic or you hear highly functional alcoholic is that something that that's real is that is, is that a real thing yeah definitely i was functioning for a long time the only thing is that you've got to be careful between the alcoholic and the guy who abuses alcohol or is the heavy drinker that fine line again go back to generational can you trace that back mm-hmm. you know was father uh, mom sister brother grandfather you know cousins any alcoholism there if it's not then you're probably the heavy drinker or abuser of alcohol but yeah it's definitely definitely true I was high functioning between my my uh, light medium drinking and my heavy drinking before I crossed over. That heavy drinking, I'm I'm earning six figures back in the eighties, guys. When it's when that's like a million dollars, so that was very high functioning. But sooner or later, it all comes crashing down because the basal ganglia click 
about 10 till the hour and the hypothalamus is saying drink. So guys, just step away from the speaker a minute. I'm going to let you know what the hypothalamus is telling the alcoholic, okay? We hear and see things different. I want to say that real clear from our studies, and it's true, is this is what alcoholism sounds like when my hypothalamus starts telling me to drink. Drink, 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 all the time, all the time. And the only way as a layman to get rid of that is to take a drink. And all that quiets down and everything becomes normal. And I'm sure either you, John, or your listeners, we, we didn't drink to get drunk. We drank to feel normal towards the end. You know, it wasn't a case of getting up and, oh, I think I want to drink. I needed to drink to fit into the human world out there because I couldn't, I couldn't even start to fit in or do anything in the world without alcohol inside my body. It's interesting. Um, so can, can you talk about how your treatment – how you attack the the addiction differently than traditional recovery programs, rehab, etc. Well, first of all, I want to tell you this: we're the only company in the world that offers a money back guarantee if you relapse while following our program. Boom! That says it all. Never had a, a refund in thirty odd years. Okay, wow. we don't concentrate on the alcohol. The alcohol is a symptom. It's like my spots to my chicken pots. Hey, Rob, I see you got chicken pots. How do you know? I can see the spots all over you. I, no, that's the symptom. What I actually have is a viral infection that can kill me as an adult. It's the same thing when alcohol. See, an alcoholic, look at him drink. No, that's the symptom. It's an internal. Never had a drinking problem. I had a thinking problem. Okay, so what we do is, number one, we qualify the alcoholic. When you take the first drink, can you stop? Probably not. Okay, you have to diagnose yourself once you come to help. These are the things we do. Trauma is the gateway drug. Not even going to even repeat or argue with people. Go away if you think it's marijuana. Go away. Don't even come into our presence speaking shit like that. Trauma is the gateway drug. Okay? So we need to sort the trauma out. We use that with, with my psychotherapists and my uh, counselors that attack your childhood, inner child, ACA, alcoholic child of alcoholics, adult child of alcoholics. And then we go in and we clear that up. We uncover, discover, and discard that trauma. You see, what somebody does here as a child, it affects here as an adult. And as a human being, you cannot correlate the both. What's this got to do with this? You'll find out you're doing it. So a real layman's way, and it's so lame, it's unreal. You know, hey, Dr. Rob, how come I can't stop attracting those guys who beat me up and end up being an alcoholic? What was your dad like? What? Oh, so then trait to So we have to go back and repair that stuff. Then the repetition strengthen confirms. We have to attack the basal ganglia. We have to change that. That's done with a few. Obviously, uh, psychology, NLP, uh, uh, programming, obviously, uh, li uh, linguistic programming. And then we use SE, which is somatic experience, teaching how to l listen to your body. Um, what, what was that again? A somatic experience. Okay. <clears throat> I call it SE, somatic experience. Just Google it online, guys. It's a very interesting method. Uh, we also use the latest research of brain spotting. It's a bit like EDMR, but we find it better. So we use brain spotting, which is literally a direct link from the eye to the subconscious brain, because what a lot of people don't know is the eyes are not different from the brain. They're not a different organ. The eyes are the same as the brain. They are the brain. Hmm. If you look or Google this, you'll find that the eyes are an extension of the brain. So what we have to do is go in through the pupils using a tool, get into the subconscious mind, watch for the flicker of the eyes as you go from left to right. And that is a subconscious trauma that we need to bring out. So we bring that out, of course, and then we use a couple of other things, relaxation methods, and uh, again, repetition strength and confirms. We make you find out who you really are. You see, the definition of insanity is not doing the same things over and over. The definition of insanity in my industry is me not being able to see my own truth. It's like when alcoholics, now I've worked with the, the biggest movie stars, the most successful footballers, musicians, everybody. And they can't, as well as the road sweeper, they can't see their own worth. Once we find out, and this is why I do a lot of work with people who are not alcoholic, they just want to 
be the millionaire, be the best dad. Just mm-hmm. go back and realize how your mind and the brain, two different entities, work. And if only you could see who you really are, which most people can't, yeah. then life takes on a new meaning and you can do anything in the world. That's, I mean, I don't even know where, where to go with that because I don't need, so to discover who you really are, um, can, can you just, just expand on how, how you go about helping someone navigate that path? Well, most people grow up in a, in a traumatic household, but let's take the alcoholic, for instance. These are traumas growing up. So off that trauma, and if he touches alcohol as a kid, he starts to withdraw. There might be beatings at home, might be verbal abuse at home, so he withdraws even more. By the time he gets to school, he doesn't really fit in because the alcoholic brain is, is, a, is a genius brain. So he either gets bullied or he gets put to the back of the class. And these are, the, these are over 30 years we've been doing these tests. And what happens is we become less and less in the middle of society and we come out. If, we, if we're a woman that marries a man, and the, mar- the man's an alpha male, for instance, she will take on his traits and she will take on his friends and she will take on his hobbies. So when the alcoholism gets you and you split up from that person, you have no idea who you are. You don't know who you are. You're, you was him. So we start with backtrack mm-hmm. and start to find out and almost convince you using NLP that this is the person that you really, you are that strong person. You are that amazing person. We take you down back to childhood. We live you through the childhood days. Cause I don't know about you, John, but when I was a kid, you know, we used to play football in the, in the, in the road and, and we'd shout to each other, Johnny, where you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. What about you, Bill? I want to be a footballer. What happened to them dreams? I'll tell you, they got kicked out of us by our friends and family. That's what happened. You could have been that in the schools too. Yeah, and the schools, correct. I like that, John. Yeah. So you could have been that person. You had that thought. Every kid's born with a million dollar mind. But what happens is we, we tend to hang around 10 cent minds. Okay. Mm-hmm. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. If you brought on up in an alcoholic, you know, abusive lifestyle, which, like I said, every alcoholic does to a certain degree with the, with the, with the trauma, then you lose fact and sight of who you really are because you live in that place. You live back in what you think is the comfort zone. So where that's why the wife very rarely leaves the abusive husband because that becomes the comfort zone. The Japanese prisoner of war. It mm-hmm. becomes their comfort zone, even though it's painful. There was a girl in England many years ago got snatched up the side of the road. She was missing for months, couldn't find her. I won't go into the full story. It's too long, but they actually found her in a box. They opened the box and there she was. The guy had been taking her out every single day and abusing her sexually, restroom food, and put her back in the box. Now, this was a big box, four foot high by 12 foot wide. I don't know how long it was, but it's a true story. It happened in my own town. Mm. When the policewoman went over to pick her out of the box, she was battered and bruised, but she was alive. She took her coat off her, and she put it around this young girl. What's the first thing you think she did, guys? She got back in the box. True story. Because that's how our brain works. We go back to that what we know best, the comfort zone. That was the safe. That was her safe place. I that mean. was a, a blanket safety place. Yeah, even though she knew what was coming, that's the only thing she knew. It's the same with people when they grow up. You don't know how amazing you don't know how amazing you are, John. You don't know what you're capable. of. You think you do, but most people operate in around twenty-five to forty percent of what their capacity is, their capability is. If you had someone every day, because that's what our program is, it's daily for 90 days, every single day telling you the stuff you can do and walking you through, yeah, I just want a girlfriend desperate. Let's walk you through that. Get the girlfriend. What else? Want a job? Let's walk you through that. Let's get that job and realize that you can do anything in the world that you want to do. Well, I can't be president. Listen, we had a business and running the country. Don't tell me you can't do anything you want to do. Everybody's capable of doing anything that they want. But they get kicked out. Don't be stupid, Rob. You can't be a doctor. You come from the project. Don't be stupid. You can't get on TV in America. You, you can't. Shut up. Shut up. I know who I am today. I know my own worth. I get people all the time, counselors. Dr. Rob, listen, I've just done my practice. I'm so excited. How much do you should charge? My answer is always the same. How much are you worth? Oh, <laughs> serious? Yeah, serious. How much are you worth? 
because I'm worth a thousand dollars an hour. What are you worth? Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to charge 200. Well, good for you. That's how much we're worth. Nobody tells me my worth today. Before one word of somebody to pop me down would shatter me. I have a cast iron mindset today from the training that we did to ourselves in the early days. Now we pass on to other people. It's like, if we swap places for 20 seconds on the screen, you will see you for the first time and realize what the hell was I worried about? Why didn't I? Because I don't know about you guys out there, but I'd rather be 90 and go, oh yeah, I did all that. It was awesome. That didn't work out. But oh my, rather than sit going, you know, I should have, maybe I could have. Mm-hmm. That's not living the dream. Well, that's doing is dreaming a living. That's what that's doing. That reminds me of a perspective I heard, and I forget, I listen to so many podcasts, I forget the podcast I heard it on or who said it, so I can't give credit, but it was very similar to what you said and a way that they put a frame around um, their day-to-day life and the decisions they make in business or relationships is they picture themselves as an 85-year-old man or woman or, uh, looking back on their life today and looking back... W- how would I look at this decision today? So as I'm 85, or you're looking back, did you spend time with your with your kids? Did you spend time w- with your spouse? Or were you just slaving away in you know some some job or task that isn't going to matter a couple of years later? Um, so taking that that focus of being 85 and looking back on your own life, I think that's super powerful. I love that. We've we've actually uh just we did some research with family and friends, grandfathers who passed away. And I used to ask her one thing. I said, what, what do you regret the most? Or what, what's the one sentence you'd leave the world with? And John, you'd be surprised how many people told us this. They said, I thought I had more time. Mm. You don't have time. Believe me, you don't have time. You know, you've got to do things today. We have a 7.3 second rule. Okay. First of all, if your pathways are going bad for drinking or whatever, 7.3 seconds, it's a time frame. You can re-divert a neural pathway. But secondly, we then later found out that if you want to do something, let's say, for instance, oh, tomorrow I'm going to go to the gym. I'm eating a cake. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to the gym. Okay, put the cake down in the first 7.3 seconds. Get up, get your bag, put your sneakers, your clothes, and your towel, and put it near the door, then sit down. There's a 95% chance that you will go to the gym tomorrow. But we pop things off and we pop things mm. off. Yeah, just just starting. So just starting the the act of preparing to go to the gym, just putting your stuff there. It, yeah, it triggers triggers something in your brain that makes it makes it easier. This is all the mind mind stuff that we can use. You know, I get my guys. I've got one over here for next year for me. But I get my guys. It's like you know, you, you earn 30, 30 grand a year now. What do you want to earn after we finished and going forward? Well, my dream was I was been a hundred grand a year. Okay, let's write that check for 12 months. And if you don't earn that in 12 months, you send me the check and the latest paycheck and I will match the difference. Again, nobody's done that yet. Because when you convince somebody that they can do it, then they do it. You know, there, there was, I love I, I loved the studies and the tests before our time. There was a, chest, a, a test back in England where a scientific research lab came into a, a school, a junior school. It's, uh, probably the ages eight until 11. And they told the headmaster, we have this test. It's a written test. You just do it. We go away. We come back the next day and we tell you who the top three students are in your class. And the headmaster said, oh, my goodness. Yeah, we'd love to know that. Oh, that'd be awesome. So they brought the test in. All the eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kids filled them in and they took them away. And they come back the next day and said, we have the top three. And the headmaster said, oh, we can't. all the teachers are going, oh, can't we? So thank you for doing this. Who's the top three? So well, Jimmy. Jimmy? Yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy, John, hit. Oh, wow. Are you sure? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we're sure. Jenny. Jenny, oh, okay. And Bill. Oh, not sure about Bill. That's my test. I'm telling you, they will become the top three in your school before they leave at the age of 12, 13. A year later, they came back. How's our top three students going? Oh, my. I have no idea how you did that. It, this has got to go public. The top three, unbelievable. One's got an offer from university, you know, blah, blah, blah. How did you know? And the scientific research guy said, we didn't. It was a scam. 
actual fact, when we left your school the first day, we threw all them papers away and we picked three names out of the school. Headmaster said, I don't understand. He said, well, we told you they were the three geniuses. And because you treated them that way, mm. so they become. And that's the basis, one of the bases of our program. You need to realize who you are and what you're capable of doing. Million dollar mines, baby. Stop hanging around 10 cent mines. That, that is powerful. Um, I, I'm curious, because it's kind of the way you're talking about, about some of this. I'm curious if you teach and utilize uh, visual, 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 I can't say the word. Do you visualize? Do you teach visualization? 100%. 100%. So let me, let me tell you where we got that from, because that's just not like you hear it all the time, what you see in your mind, you can hold in your hand. You know, preachers use it all the time. But we're research guys. We are research. We're a, we study neuroplasticity. We study, you know, we're neuroscience guys. Let's go back to quantum physics and look at that same question. It's that quantum physics can tell us that it's a fact that nothing's solid. And let's say a basketball court, you can be on the court 25 places at any one time. Well, I like that idea because what I want to be, if I can see myself 25 places, is I want to be over near the goal. So when I get the ball, I'm going to bang it in the net and I'm going to be the hero of the game. Now listen carefully, guys. Can you see it? Yeah, see it. How did you get there? You walk over and you take that position. You don't beg for it. You don't crawl for it. You can already see it. Walk over and take it. It's a science. It's quantum physics. It's neuroscience. Walk over and take that position. Well, it, it, it can't be that easy, Dr. Rob. It really is. And I'll tell you what else is really easy. If you're sat at home in a relationship that you hate and you hate your wife, get a new wife. If you're sat Friday, Sunday, morning, Sunday night going, oh, my God, I've got work tomorrow, uh, get a new job. Well, it can't, it's really is that easy. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? People stay in relationships, especially alcoholics and addicts, years more than they should do. You say you get one shot of this. Alcoholics and addicts, if they survive and recover, I'm a recovered alcoholic and addict. If they survive, we get one more thing that's inhuman because we have a bunch anyway being alcoholic and addict. Is I get two lives in one lifetime. And I ain't going to mess the second one up because when I was homeless, hmm. I tried to commit suicide six times, and on two occasions, my heart stopped. I was done with this world. Then I got a second life. What am I going to do? Sit at home in my one-bedroom apartment going, oh, thank you, God, for another life. No, I'm going to do crazy stuff that I'm not supposed to do. As a recovered alcoholic, I'm not supposed to have all this money. I'm not supposed to give half it away to people. I'm not supposed to walk the earth as a free man and do the ambition. I'm not, yeah, come on. You get two lies, man. Let's walk into the solution. Forget that flipping problem. You're either in the problem or you're in the present. The choice is yours. So speaking of being in the present, looking ahead to the future, using your past, do you utilize all of that? I, how, I guess how often, because you, you talked about your past, you talked about you know being homeless and, and your struggles with addiction. How often do, do you look back and use that as, as motivation to keep pushing forward? Every single day. I mean, if, if alcoholics have recovered out there, living a great life or, you know, who has suffered, we find that that's our greatest asset going forward. Believe me when I say this, that if you're an alcoholic and you go to a counselor that's not an alcoholic, they can't help you, okay? There's only one alcoholic to another alcoholic. So then our past, forget the colleges and degrees and universities, no, I'm not going to get you sober with my PhDs. I can get you sober with them. I can read it to you from a book. But what it becomes really, really forefront is my experience. You go, hey, listen, I've been where you are, and I kind of know the way out. So, yeah, every single day. And there's always somebody I meet, especially if they don't know my past, and he'll sit down and talk, and he go, Dr. Robice, what I'm speaking about, you know, I just can't get over my homelessness. Obviously, you don't know anything about that, but I go, yeah, check. What about losing your kids? Yeah, check. What about never seeing one of them for the rest of your life? Yeah, check. I got it all, buddy, because if you don't go through it, you can't teach anybody to get through it. It's just impossible. It's that crazy, deep illness, sickness, disaster that you need to have as training. If you have a God or a higher power or Uncle Billy looking after you, you find out once you come out the other end that my torment, my loss of kids, my stabbing my wife, 
She didn't die, by the way. My homelessness now becomes like a semester at Harvard, becomes very valuable information going mm. forward. So let's talk about some other addictions. I mean, obviously, we've talked about alcoholism. We talked a little bit about drug addiction. I do want to come back to that, though. But before we do that, I mean, there's other addictions out there. Almost everyone is addicted to something, addicted to their phone, addicted to pornography, addicted to food. Um, so how, how many similarities are there between these other addictions and alcoholism or, or drug addiction? The, 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 well, there's a lot of similarities, I know that, but the differences with alcoholics and other people is uh, other people don't have the allergy, which is the physical allergy when I take alcohol. Mm-hmm. The rest is the same. I mean, it really does. I mean, it goes back to two, a couple of things, trauma and uh, basal ganglia. That repetition of whatever it may be is, is a form of self-sabotage. So when I'm dieting and I know that I'm grossly overweight, obese, and I need help, and all of a sudden I go to the fridge, it's self-sabotage. And the reason why it's self-sabotage is because I don't think I'm good enough, I don't think I'm worthy, and I don't think I'm going to amount to anything. That's the, that's the clink in the basal ganglia. You go, Bob, we self-sabotage, go back to the beginning. And we start all over again. So, yeah, they're very, very similar. You know, smoking, whatever it is, uh, there's, a, there's a 97% chance that if your parents smoke, you'll smoke. There's 90% chance if your parents took drugs or ate too much food or obese, you will be, you know, it's like, oh, it's in the genes. There are cases where they are, by all means, what you can do about it apart from surgery. But there's also a lot of learned behavior from our parents, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, was satisfactory and accepted by them that we take on. So, yeah, you, you, can, you can solve any addiction with the same method. We have all them people will come to us. We have business when we get back on top again, all all addictions, pornography, phone is the biggest addiction. And let's not even talk about COVID yet. Oh, thank God COVID's over. Oh, that was a crazy time. Guys, give it five years. It's gonna be an epidemic of kids committing suicide and other things if we don't sort our life out. Because we've not, the worst thing you could do to a human being is isolate them. You, you look at the test we on death row, 90-something percent of people by the time they got to the chair was insane. Why? Because of the isolation. The human brain is not set up for isolation. We're community animals like apes and gorillas. We, we don't do well on our own. So I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm looking out for that and trying to teach and educate as much as I can around that. Yeah. Well, I, I, didn't, even, I didn't even think of that, but holy crap. And it's, I, I felt like I was living in bizarro world dur- during COVID when – um, yes, first there was the isolation. They're shutting everything down. They're keeping um, kids at home. C- can't go to school. You have to do remote learning. And then when the kids can go back to school, they have to wear a mask. Their teacher has to wear a mask. They can't see their friends smile. They can't see the teacher smile. They can't. They can't learn oh, to yeah. re- read the you know the facial facial recognition. Um, it's I, I'm extremely concerned about that. Well, I mean, you, you you talked about that being on your radar as something you're you're trying to help with. What can what can parents do? What, what can people do in their community to try to help people adjust so we don't end up with a worst-case scenario? Without the obvious of looking for alcohol or drug abuse within the family or anything like that, uh, practice this, guys. Uh, ask or tell anybody in the family, let's say you're married and you have four children in the house ranging from 10 to 20, uh, one hour a day, one day a week, get rid of the phones and start communicating. Go out more. Go to, oh, we're going to the park. We're going to a bill of parents. We're going to this, the cinema. We're going to the, the mall. Get out and start communicating because I've heard it so many times, John. You know, well, I'm on Facebook all the time. Well, listen, you need to get out and get some friends. Well, I've got 5,000 friends on Facebook. Uh, no, what you, what you, you're plugged into a wall. That's, that's all you're doing. Yeah. You could be speaking to robots out there. You know, you're learning no social skills. So when you do have to go for a job out there in the real world, you're going to get torn apart. You're not going to be ready for that stuff. People used to always be scared of the youngsters coming up in business. Oh, there's a young buck. Now, be careful of my job. It's tilted now because the older person have that communication experience that the younger people are really struggling with, with right now. So put the phones away for an hour a day. If you can't do that, do it for an hour a week. And then get out with the family. We don't see people eating at tables anymore for dinner. Families used to do that a lot. The only good thing I saw with COVID, John, was families walking down the street yes. as a family. That brought tears to my eyes. 
I'm like, well, you know, it's like the old Chinese proverb, you know, is it good, is it bad? We don't know. Unless you go through it, Schrodinger's box. Is the cat dead? Is it alive? Well, we don't know because the box is closed. Well, should we open it? I don't know. It, it, it's that mid kind of brain thing that is it, is it, it well, the only way to find out is to go and do it. You know, tell mm-hmm. them wars, continue them wars, get your children active in whatever it may be, inspire them. And then just be careful. I mean, like I say, men, man, I can't even say it without even crying. But the mental challenge in the next five to 10 years is going to be absolutely brutal. You think, you think crack cocaine was bad? <laughs> you think, you think fentanyl is bad right now? You've got an epidemic coming. You've got a tidal wave. You've got a tsunami coming. That has nothing to do with drugs and alcohol. That's when people in normal houses and high-profile houses are going to start saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, we're in trouble. Yeah, you are in trouble because it's not your fault, but it is his fault of giving your kid a phone at the age of nine and, uh, and, and communicating through that only. There has to be human connection. Yeah, and uh, it's, I'm so glad you brought up the – seeing families walk down the street together and it's unfortunate. I mean, recently I haven't seen it, you know, since, uh, you know, things have, things have loosened up and restrictions have loosened up and life has gone back to, you know, quote unquote normal. Um, but I remember, you know, during, during the lockdowns uh, going out for, uh, going out for runs. That's how I kept my sanity during, during uh, that time as I would run three to four times a week. Yeah. And I would see, I would see families, you know, the whole family, parents, three, four kids out walking down the street together. I was like, this, this yes. is amazing. Talking to each other too, not just, you know, uh, on their phones. So no phones, no phones. There was a research study done years and back in the twenties and thirties, I think where in a school, they put a, a paper bag over a kid's head and drew a face on it just to see how the class would react. And for the first couple of days, everyone thought it was hilarious. This kid was coming with his bag on top of his head with a smiling face on it. But the interesting thing was after about a week or 10 days, it wasn't so funny. And after two, maybe two and a half weeks, they hated the kid. No one would speak to him. Okay. Which was, I thought that was pretty good. But what they found is like four or five years later, people still didn't like that kid. (laughs) After they've all left school, they still didn't like him. His friend list dropped completely. And he became isolated. Same with masks. And when you take someone's identity away, it messes with the brain because everything becomes the same. And we, we need variety with the brain activities. If we have the same day, 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 day of mundane stuff, the brain is not challenged. There's certain parts of the brain that are not lit up. We need four chemicals every single day. We need the endorphins, which is walk for 20 minutes, go to the gym. We need that chemical to make us happy every day. We need dopamine, which is the pleasure reward system. Say thank you to somebody. Dopamine is released into my brain and vice versa. We need serotonin, which is our social belonging and sunlight. Well, we wasn't getting that for a long time. And the oxytocin, which is our human uh, cuddling hormone, the intimacy, not necessarily sex, but intimacy with another person. If you don't have them four chemicals released into your brain every day, you are not going to be happy on a daily basis. And that's where depression comes in. Because what most people do when they feel depressed, John, is they go to the doctor and the doctor goes, hey, uh, I'm going to give you this medication. They don't tell them why. I give you this medication. It's going to make you feel real good. And it's a couple of days back to normal. And sure enough, they come in and start banging this pharmaceutical medication down. And in a week or two weeks, they start to feel back to normal. Why isn't anybody asking the question, why the hell is my serotonin low in the first place? You know, instead of taking the pharmaceutical companies are ruling the world and people don't see it. You know, it's like, why is the serotonin in the first place? Why are you depressed? The four chemicals, two, three, four, all four may not be firing. That's why you're depressed, you know? It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all tied together, right? Just like you talked about with, you know, getting, getting outside, walking, um, diet, what we eat, you know, serotonin, something like 90% of our serotonin is produced in our gut. If we're eating junk, um, that's not going to be able to actually, uh, those reactions aren't, aren't able to happen and, and, and we don't produce as much uh, serotonin as, uh, as is needed. Um, I did want to ask you, I, I know that it, with your treatment, you don't accept just just anybody, but you have worked with a, a lot of celebrities and, uh, and well-known people. And I did hear you talk about it. Well, I'm asking you about it specifically because I've heard you talk about it on another show. But I, I, I know that Britney, Sp- Britney Spears and um, her father approached you at, at one point in time. I was wondering if you could share that story. Sure. This is uh, 
probably, and I'm guessing now, guys, please forgive me, 14 years ago in Dallas, and uh, we got a call from uh, their, their management team, and uh, she was playing in town. And we had we had arranged to meet them in a very well-known Italian restaurant um, just outside of Dallas, Texas, outside the town center, still within the limits. And the, the, the idea is we're going to meet at uh, 12 o'clock. show finished at 10 or 10.30. Mm -hmm. And I waited and waited. And, uh, you know, two hours late, she turns up and she was uh, she was drunk. And it, it, so these are the two things that got me pissed off. First of all, you don't show up late two hours for anybody drunk when you're supposed to be trying to get sober. Mm -hmm. Secondly, all the crew were sober because they were told they couldn't drink alcohol around her. And she burst in the room and I got up straight away. I didn't speak to her. I got up straight away and I walked to the door and her dad jumped up, Jamie, and he said, Rob, please don't go. Doctor, I'll give you any, please, please. And I said, I, she's not for me. And, and many people think this, this is crazy. It's like, if you're taking every patient that comes to you and they keep relaxing, shame on you. You know, shame on you. So I wouldn't take it. So his bodyguard stood up, which I'm a big guy. You know, I was about 260 at the time, bodybuilder, karate guy, you know, knock your out, not even thinking about it. I wasn't taking any crap off anybody. But my dad took a checkbook out and he wrote a million dollars and he handed it to me. This was 15 years ago. And he says, please take her, Dr. Rock. And I looked him straight in the eye and said, Jamie, she's not ready. And, you know, God would strike me down dead if I was to take it. So I walked past him and his, his mind was, his mind was still standing, this big African-American guy stood there and I told him to sit down before I put him down. So he stepped out of the way and I walked out and I've never, I've never spoke to him again, but it, it's just, it's as simple as this. Like you have to earn our program. There's a huge assessment, which 80% of people fail. Uh, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you got. I don't give a shit about anything like that. Are you done? What, what okay. are some of the what are some of the questions? You know, I'm I'm not asking for you to say everything, but some of the key things that you would ask on an assessment to see if someone's ready. Okay, well I've never divulged this, but I'm a sneaky pig, because I'm aggressive with this stuff. You know, this what's, what makes it with life or death here. So here's an instance for one instance. Mm -hmm. Very affluent family in Dallas. We used to have offices in Highland Park, very affluent area, and the affluent people came in with a big checkbook and. They, they know what we do is we we interview uh, the kid first and then we interview the parents and then we interview them all together and give them the yes or no so the kid coming he's got to be about 16 17 this kid quarterback for the local school all that stuff and i knew <coughs> that his problem was adderall okay the most dangerous drug in the world my opinion okay so we sat down and you could see that he wasn't really paying attention so I said, look, uh, Jimmy, here's the deal. Uh, it's Friday night now. No one's going to stop before Monday. Monday's the best day to start on Monday. Is, uh, a diet is Monday. Let's start Monday. You agree? He said, oh, I've got, uh, uh, so look, I've got some Adderall in the drawer right now. I'm going to give you some Adderall. I'm going to take one as well. And uh, we'll just meet each other Monday and start off. And he said, oh, my God, yes, please. I got up, walked out, called his mom and dad in and said, he's done. We can't do it. Because he wasn't ready. He was still interested in, in taking the animal one last time. Mm -hmm. It's like, we don't, we don't, we don't, do, we just, people can't believe that, John. You know, it's like, we don't just take you on. This isn't about the money. We give $150,000 away every single year, right? Either from our own pockets or from the book sales or everything else back into one parent families who are struggling or trying to get the kids back or going to court who are trying to get well. That's what we do. So it's not about the money, but yeah, you have to pass on a, a strict. This is, I'm not going to take you on if you're going to die on me. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, I've, I've got to look at you. And I, I'm a savant at this. First time I said this on air, but I am. That's only what I, what I do. I can't wire a plug. I can't engine in a car. No idea. Paint a wall. I, I can't do it. I mess it up. Yeah, you have but a gift. This, you have a gift for it. I do. Yeah. And it's only this and music. I always tell people I can play guitar. I write songs, I get people work, you know? And this is my area of expertise. If you don't appreciate that, or you're just doing this for your mom or dad, or you're just doing it because you've got the, no, we're not taking you. So you said something at, at the beginning of answering that question that kind of, it actually doesn't really surprise me, but I'm curious to the reasons why. You said Adderall is the most dangerous drug in your opinion. And that, I mean, that made me kind of go back for a second because a lot of kids who are in elementary school and um, very, very young are, are prescribed Adderall for their ADD or ADHD. And so what's the reason why Adderall is so, so bad? 
Well, first of all, it's amphetamine salts. The basic ingredient, you're just taking speed, amphetamines. Uh, and uh, even now, if I went to the pharmacist anywhere in San Antonio, I can't get Adderall right now. It's that much of a demand. Uh, and all of a sudden, literally overnight, every school kid or adult or anything who, who likes to likes to taste the drugs and, and getting high was all of a sudden uh, ADHD. I can't concentrate. I'll take these pills. And that became one of the pharmaceuticals most uh, sought after drugs. So they earned billions of dollars off that. And I know from our test and trying that I went in once telling a doctor, a psychiatrist that didn't even look at me, John. He had his head down in the morning, or the morning. I can't concentrate. Okay, I'm going to write this stuff for Adderall. And he went to hand me the prescription and I looked at him. He says, how dare you? You've not even spent 30 seconds with me. So we did a huge television thing about two, three years ago. I don't know what he was. And I was up against Purdue. And I, I told them exactly what I thought of them. And I told them the research we'd done. And I told them exactly what they're doing with our children. And I'm not saying this was all me. In fact, I'm glad it's not because I might not be here today. Hmm. Uh, but they went, they filed for bankruptcy the next day. It's like, let's stop killing people, guys, especially our kids. So <clears throat> you hear it all the time. Every other kid has Adderall, you know? And it's like overnight, everybody having cancer. <laughs> it's just not possible. Mm -hmm. You know, probably 3% of them people have this ADHD thing. Uh, the rest, and we have a lot of research on this, guys, before you start grabbing your phones and your pens to complain. It's like we research the crap out of anything before we say it online because, you know, we, we want to be right in what we're saying as well as aggressive, bordering on sometimes cocky. And I don't know, some people call me cocky. I don't care. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a bad a bad uh, drug for our kids. Now, adultly, obviously, you've got your own choice to make, but why are we giving our kids ages 8, 9, and 10 amphetamines? Have, have you done or seen any research around the MTHFR gene mutation? And what, what that is, is there's different degrees of it, but it's it's the body's um, inability to methylate folate or B vitamins, which which, which can lead to you know, ADD, ADHD, other, other mood disorders. I haven't, unfortunately. Maybe something we look into in the future, but we haven't done any research around that, so... Can't really comment on that. Yeah, no, that's it's just something I've I've heard about recently. That's that's pretty interesting Be because honestly, I you know, started looking into it because you just you notice the prevalence of of the, this this Adderall, yes. this this pharmaceutical that everyone is taking, and it's it's eye opening. Yes. If, I'd have, if I if I if I if I was in the insight or in the in with people, I'd have bought as many stocks I could in Adderall before it came out. Because mm -hmm. I'm telling you now, that's money than any any other drug on the market. Yeah, um, yeah, we certainly live live in a pharmaceutical world. I mean, you can tell how much influence they have just by looking at how many there are. There's one on every corner. You'll come to an intersection, and there's a pharmacy on every single corner. Yeah. Maybe three corners, and there's yeah. one bank on the other corner. Banks and pharmacies. Yeah, that, that tells you a lot, John, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. Uh, we're, we're almost out of time here, Doctor Rob. I want want to thank you so much for uh, for coming on and being so so generous with your time and uh, so so open and you know. People, people listening to this, maybe some of them are, are struggling with addiction. Some of them are just struggling. They're, they're stuck in a spot in their life. Some of them are maybe questioning their, their worth, questioning what they can accomplish. Um, I think we all go through that as humans. So I, I hope that everyone took something uh, away from this conversation today. I, I know know that I did personally, so thank you for that. Um, I just want to... Uh, oh, so I want to say one thing before, sure. before we leave. It's just touching on them people that are in trouble or them people, I mean, with addictions... You know, guys, we go through so many things as, as human beings, and, and it's only temporary. Everything's temporary, by the way. But I want to say something that's going to touch the heart of some people out there. There's a couple of things. First of all, if you sat at home thinking you're never going to amount to anything, that you're never good, you're never good enough, Dad never said other boys or whatever, I want to apologize to you because somebody's put that there, okay? That's not a natural way of thinking. And secondly, if you're sat at home with an addiction, and we're not talking business now. We're talking Rob Kelly to you, Jimmy, James, Julie, Catherine. If you're sat there in that place and you know what place I'm talking about, if you don't understand this, guys, this is not for you. But if you're sat in that place, that lonely place, you pick up the phone, you call my cell phone direct. It's 214-600-0210. doesn't come to anybody else in my company. It comes straight to me. It's always best to text first. Now, here's the deal. If you're brave enough to call that number and desperate enough, 
I will give you a 10 minute pep talk that will change your life. And if I don't, I'm going to send you $100 for your time. Hmm. We're in this together. This isn't look at me, look at you, whatever it is. This is one human being that was homeless and lost his kids, okay, to another human being that's probably in the same boat. All I have hmm. is I'm older and a little bit more experience. Let me be the guy that changes that for you. We will never, never try and sell you shit when you come with me. It's just me and you talking as two friends that I've never met, and I'll change your life, guys, I promise. And just on that real quick, my eldest daughter, who went missing for 30 years, nobody spoke to me, wife gone, youngies gone. My eldest daughter, that I've not seen for so long, contacted me two years ago on, on uh, Messenger. We flew over there straight away. She called me dad. She handed me a three-month-old granddaughter. Uh, as of today, I think it's around about today, 12 months ago, she, we sent her back to school. She became my lead therapist in my Manchester United Kingdom office. That's so amazing. stick in there, guys. Miracles come true. That is amazing. Wow. Um, it's hard. It's hard to follow that up, but I I, I want to ask you to to provide your your plugs where people can find you on social media and yeah. all that stuff. Sure, it's uh, just uh, Doctor Rob Kelly in any search engine. Uh, spell my name with two B's, guys, in case you're listening and not watching. R O B B K E L L Y dot com is the website. Jump on there. The book's on there. The last thing my eldest daughter said to me was, "Daddy, daddy, please stop drinking." Only reason why I mentioned that. When you buy it for $9, all that money goes back out into the community as part of our 150000 that we give to, to give back to the people. If you don't like it, send me a text. I'll refund your money. Just pass it on to somebody else. Come on, hook us up, guys. It would be great to speak to you. Facebook, everything. I'm all on there, Dr. Rob Kelly. Dr. Rob Kelly, thank you for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, John. Awesome to be here. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Rob Kelly and... I'm, I don't just say this to say this, but that right there was one of my favorite conversations, discussions, interviews, however you want to label it, um, that I've done in my time here with Finding Freedom or Felony Friday. So 350 plus episodes, um, probably top 10 for me, for sure. Really enjoyed the conversation with, with Rob Kelly, a really genuine authentic, just a real person. And I hope that came across in this interview. He's a guy with a big heart and uh, he's helped a lot of people. And I hope that this uh, this episode here today uh, helps a lot of people. And you can actually facilitate that or help to facilitate that by sharing this episode in your networks, either sharing the Lions of Liberty Network feed, or if you just want to share this Finding Freedom episode with just just my content, you can uh, share the Finding Freedom feed. You can find that on any podcasting app just by searching Finding Freedom and my name, John Odermatt, and uh, it'll pop up. So thank you, everyone, for you know, listening today. Thank you for the, the support um, as we transition here with, uh, with Lions of Liberty um, down to Mean Age Daydream, Finding Freedom, and now our third um, – third show that, that we that we have every single week now, uh, Memoirs. So hopefully you checked that out last Friday. We had our first episode of Memoirs. It's a real quick, like 10-minute show we're going to do um, every Friday that it's a little bit of comedy, a little bit of liberty, a little bit of freedom, a little bit of just uh, just fun for your weekend <laughs> to, to talk about some memes, banter a little bit and uh, launch you into your weekend with a smile on your face. So hope you enjoyed the first one last week and episode number two coming up this Friday. And if you haven't already, please consider becoming a, a patron here at Lions of Liberty. You can either join by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com and uh, you know, look at the different levels and pick the one that, uh, that suits your fancy because we have... You know the perks that we that we give you, the discounts on merchandise, the access to you know talking to Brian and I, um, the bonus content. I think we give our patrons more than really any other show out there. So uh, we we do the best we can. So hopefully that is uh, is something that um, encourages you and gives you incentive to uh, to give us your hard 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 earned dollars. 
losing my ability to talk. So I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) Hopefully everyone has a great week coming up this week. If you're listening on Monday or whenever you're listening, hope you have a great day. And uh, I will talk to you next week. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning.